Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, July 31st, 2023. Today's podcast is a birth story, originally dropped on our High Risk Birth Stories podcast in 2022. My guest is Dr. Sarah Rohr Benheim, and she talks about the birth of her twins. Professionally, Sarah is a clinical psychologist and was also a guest on the Healthful Woman podcast in 2020 to talk about eating disorders. Sarah is a terrific guest for both podcast styles. So after you hear and enjoy her birth story today, you can go back and find her podcast with me on eating disorders from November 2020. All right, a few reminders. First, for all of you listening on Apple or Spotify, please, if you could rate this podcast, preferably with five stars, we would really appreciate it. Also, a reminder to please send us questions you might have for our mailbag podcast. Those have been going very well. To send in questions, you can email us directly at hw at healthfulwoman.com, or you can go to our website, www.healthfulwoman.com, and click on the link that says, send us your questions. Also, for those of you who have not yet heard, Emily Oster and I wrote a book together, and it is coming out in April 2024. It is called The Unexpected, Navigating Pregnancy During and After Complications. You can pre-order it pretty much wherever you get books online. We dropped some links on our social media sites, and we added a link to our website. So please check it out, and if you want to pre-order, you can do so. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Sarah Rohr Benheim, welcome to High Risk Birth Stories. You are already a podcast sensation from your time on the Healthful Woman podcast exactly a year ago in the beginning of 2021. And now you're just, you know, on podcast number two. Love it. Thanks for having me back. You're amongst a short group of people who have been on both podcasts. I know Melka is one of them who has both been on a podcast and told her birth story. And I know there are more who I'll figure it out along the way. But you're on a short I list. Think Aviva so sure. Breda. Aviva Breda also. Aviva Breda was both. Very good. Yeah. Simi from A Time was one. That's right. And Shira Billet, who it's the same podcast, but I dropped it twice on each. On each. Okay. <laughs> as, as that podcast is worthy of being dropped many times. Everyone should, everyone should listen to that podcast. She, yeah. She basically told her birth story before we had the birth stories podcast. And so, you know, she told it a helpful woman. I was like, you know what? This is like such an awesome story and so important. So we're just going to drop so it again. Important. Yes. Not, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to like take up her time to interview her again. So it's all good. But here you are. I'm so happy you agreed to do this. And fortunately, you guys have many birth stories you can tell. But we're going to focus on our time together, which <laughs> began sort of in 2017, but culminated in the birth of your twin daughters in 2018. And yeah, how are things at home with your crew? Everyone is great. We have six kids. My oldest is 12 and my twins are now three. It is awesome. I love, I love all my kids. They're all really super different, which makes it amazing. Each one has its own different personality that they bring to the table. And they all really connect to each other in different ways, which we're so blessed and fortunate. It's really, it's a fun place to be. We love, we love being with each other. Thank God. It's amazing. And it's loud. It's very loud. It's very loud. I would imagine. 
and we were just talking how <laughs> you know we're in such you know opposite ends of this you know parenting spectrum where your your oldest is 12 and my my youngest is 15 and you're you know you're getting out of diapers and I'm getting into marriages and so exactly. it's just a whole it's a whole di- we're like mirror images of it's, each other exactly it's a whole other it's a whole other different ball game but the thing I really come to appreciate probably just from my own like psychology experience like everybody in whatever it is that they're going through is like it it feels big like and I feel like with each new stage, you appreciate the newness that it has to offer and its complexities, but like really trying to be present and just like enjoy it for what it's at. And I don't know, I think like something that I've really been able to focus on, at least with my twins, is that like just really enjoying and savoring each stage because like it will go, like it will yeah. go and the next one will be amazing. But like that's it, you know, kind of being able to be present in what that stage was and is. Yeah. I mean, listen, I remember how what what a big moment it was when our kids moved on from their sippy cups. And it's, it was it was like, unbelievable, you know, no more sippy cups, greatest day ever. And and I have like the same level of excitement over, you know, birthdays and bar and bat mitzvahs and weddings. It's just every milestone is awesome as the kids grow up. And, you know, and, and every day that they get older and don't terrorize you is just another wonderful day. Yeah, it's a win. Total win. So let's go back to 2017. We we sort of knew each other, but not as well. And I joined your journey in 2017. At the time, you had four children and you were working on number five. So tell me what's going on in your life and what was happening at that time. I had four pregnancies, mostly and completely uneventfully. I look back on it and I like think back to myself that every child that I had was really wanted and I was elated every time that pregnancy test came through, but it wasn't hard. Um, and I think probably if I had to look back on it, I'm sure there was a moment in time in my innocence as is appropriate that I probably was like, oh, you know, it took me X number of months. Each pregnancy was really seamless. As my reproductive endocrinologist, Dr. Lobel would tell me, I had four pregnancies and I treated them as if I was in a car speeding down the highway. They were just like kind of not present to me. I just kind of tended to them as like not big deals. And then we went and tried to get pregnant with a fifth and I was having a hard time getting pregnant and, you know, I didn't think so much about it. I'm, I'm an athlete. And so kind of like, Oh, maybe we'll just tinker, you know, I'll run a little bit less and eat a little more ice cream. Like maybe it's something related to, to that. And it didn't really help. And then I got pregnant and then I miscarried. And I remember thinking at the time, like statistically, people miscarry. And so that's what happened. It's not such a big deal. It's sad. It's disappointing. But people miscarry. And statistically, it made sense. Like this was this was my statistical moment. And then I went on to try to get pregnant again and had a little bit of a hard time, but ultimately got pregnant. And it, it happened to have been that probably what contributed to some of my angst was my practice that I loved at the time was in the middle of falling apart. They were going through their own transition. And I found myself a little bit like obstetric homeless. They didn't really have like an OB and the OB that I was using was basically transitioning out of obstetrics. She was just doing gynecology and I got pregnant and nobody could figure out what was going on with the pregnancy. It looked like it was not healthy, but nobody was exactly sure. And they wanted to terminate it, but they weren't actually sure if the dating was off. And I had had a history of kind of getting pregnant and it looked like it was a slow to go pregnancy and then ended up being that the dating was off. So that's kind of, I was kind of stuck. I was a little, I felt stranded. I was pregnant, 
something wasn't right, but it wasn't wrong either. And I remember just feeling like very overwhelmed, very lost, very sad, very confused. And I had worked with your wife, Michal, at Ramaz. We were together for a number of years. And everybody like said, Dr. Fox, Dr. Fox, Dr. Fox. So I was like, you know, I, I'm going to do this. I, I actually texted Michal. And I was like, I'm in a little bit of a mess. And I feel like your husband could help me. She's like, we're on the plane to Bermuda. I remember, I was like, I remember where I was. I was standing outside Lazy Bean and Teaneck. And she's like, we're getting on a waffle plane to go to Bermuda, but I'm going to connect you with him. And it was like, it felt, I'm sh- I think now knowing everything I know about you, you do this all the time for people. But for me, it was like an act of like the greatest kindness that anybody had, could do for me in that moment. And I look back on it, it's probably why it speared in my brain with such a tremendous amount of kindness. You were like, yeah, no problem. I'm going to land in Bermuda in a few hours and someone's going to call you and they're going to make an appointment and you're going to come in and we're going to fix all this up. And I just felt like such a wave of like, I don't know where this story is going to end, but like, I know it's going to be okay because I feel like somebody was taking care of me for the first time in this, in this realm. Oh, that's very sweet. Well, Bermuda's, I mean, frankly, kind of boring. So there wasn't much going on anyways. You know, it's lovely there and the beach was nice, but that's how it is. I mean, that's, you know, there's so much to say about, you know, healthcare in general and in this country, but so much of it is just, I don't know where to go, right? I don't know who can help me. It's it's not that we don't have the resources and it's not that people can't get in to see someone or this, it's just, you feel lost. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons I feel very strongly about this idea of having a relationship with your doctor. And it's not always, are they the best in the world? I and mean, it's great to have someone who's like awesome, but most of the time you just need someone who's available. That's really it. That They'll answer your call. They'll pick up the phone. They'll see you in the office and sort it out. It's priceless. Unless I know that for my own doctors, it's not just about me as a doctor, me as a person, like you have a problem, you want to talk to somebody, you don't want to wait three weeks to to get in to see someone. And it's just it's hard. And it's not, it's not that the people who can't see people quickly are bad doctors. Sometimes they're just not in, in a good situation. Their office is, has too many people and not enough doctors, whatever it is. It's just, it's, it's tough. I hear you. So it was, it was my pleasure. Plus, plus if Michal says like, like, uh, you got to help her. I was like, yes, I will. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were good kindred spirits in our minds. So I think also the piece, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I think that on the patient side, it's like when you're dealing with this stuff, like you don't want to sit with a pregnancy that needs to terminate for five days. And sometimes you don't have a choice. Like it's just yeah. the way that, that it kind of falls. But I think there was like a sense of like, we're going to take care of this in as fast of a time as humanly possible with the amount of flexibility that we have. But it felt like, it wasn't a, a scenario where I'm going to be sitting on this for the next yeah. three weeks. I'm yeah. kind of just like, you know, who knows, you know, because it's an urgency to me because I'm going through it. But it felt like everybody was at least somewhat connected to the fact that like this is really this isn't great and it's anxiety provoking. Yeah. And there's two reasons to wait in this situation. There's one reason where you need to wait, like meaning yeah. until we figure out what's going on, we need to do something, wait a week and do it again, like blood test, ultrasound, whatever maybe. So that, that that kind of waiting is just your standard anxiety over the results, the what will be, what if it's bad news, you know, is it bad news? What's the chances it's bad news? What am I going to do if it's bad news? And that type of waiting, which is painful, but sort of just the reality. Sometimes you don't know on day one what it is. And then there's the waiting where 
I know what it is and we need to do A, B, and C and we can do it in two weeks. And you're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like two weeks? Like I want this done yesterday. This is crazy. And and that's that's normal. That That's how it should be. People should want things done right away. Sometimes it's impossible, but you know, hopefully it's, you can do it as soon as you can, but that is, that is another difficult source either to get the appointment or the follow-up appointment or, or whatever it might be. So, so what, what ultimately happened from your end? What ended up happening from my end was we went in, we got a scan. It didn't look good. It didn't look terrible. It was kind of like, this could really go either way, but overwhelmingly, it didn't look like this was an overwhelmingly healthy embryo. It's an interesting piece, like as my own perspective on this has grown on my own experience and everybody has their own experience. I, you know, subsequent to this got trained in CBT for infertility. And I, you know, do a lot of work in that, do some work in that area, not a ton of work. But I think that one of the things I think is so important is the idea that like, I kind of looking back on it and ultimately the, the, the pregnancy terminated. I miscarried. We recognized that it was a termination. We scheduled a DNC for like a Monday and I actually miscarried on my own at home and was able to have the embryo, the fetus tested and needed like a small DNC in the office also just to make sure that there was no like leftover fetal tissue and so sad so disappointing so upsetting but I also felt like relief like at least I knew what it was and then I could figure out what my next steps were to try to figure out like why it had these two miscarriages was it just two miscarriages statistically people have miscarriages I'm like that is what it is or is there something else going on you were like very much in the uh, like appropriately in the camp of like listen, people like, you're not young, like I wasn't old, but I wasn't young. I must have been probably like 37 at the time. Like statistically, people are going to miscarry. They're going to miscarry once. They're going to miscarry twice. You'll, you could go on to have healthy children on your own. And I think one of the things that I thought was so awesome of you in that moment was you really like read that I was like on edge. Like I was like anxious that maybe there was something else going on that I really wanted that I had felt like the last year was kind of draining on me and that even though in the scheme of infertility, people go through so much more, so much, much, much more heartache and pain. And somebody would look at me and say, hey, you have four kids at home. Like, just chill out, lady. Like some of us don't have any kids at home. Some lady have, you know, have less kids than we had wanted to have at home. But I think the piece I've also come to learn is people who want children, no matter how many kids they have or don't have already, have like a deep sense of craving. And I think it's hard to always separate out that from somebody else's urgency. And so you just kind of looked at me and was like, I see that you're anxious about this. Why don't you call this doctor? And I think that like, you totally could have just told me just hang tight. And you, you probably would have been right also. Like it might, well, I don't know. Who knows, right? It might have been fine. But I think just also giving me the option to kind of address that anxiety that I was having in the moment. Like it felt like relief for me, at least. I wanted you to take our listeners in, into your head a little bit at that time. You know, you have four children. Thank God they're healthy. You have a wonderful family. And, you know, as you said, you're, you're not old, certainly in the world of pregnancy, you're not young, but you're young, right? You're young, you have four children and you've had two losses now. What was your motivation moving forward? Was it I just really want a, a you know a fifth child. This is like a deep desire. Were the miscarriages something that maybe discouraged you from that, or was it the opposite that they motivated you even further? 
I'm just trying to get because a lot of our listeners are probably question. wondering, like, what are you thinking at the time? Yeah, in your like, situation? who is this crazy lady? No, not yeah, in a, not in a who's this crazy lady. I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, for people to get what you're thinking because this is something that not everyone would relate to necessarily. Some people like four kids, like God, I don't even want four kids. Like, and so, and yeah. here you are with like, what, what's going on in your head? I think for me, and I think like I've oh, I become very cautious about this when I you know, talk to people, I really am very cautious and sensitive about the fact that for me, it really was a choice. Like, I look at my experience and my choice to go on to do IVF, I had ended up having three months of pretty non invasive fertility treatment. Um, You know, I took Clomid, I did three, then I, it didn't work. I did three months of IUI. That's like where they take the sperm and they kind of give it a little extra boost to get it, go headed up in the right direction along with like timed ovulation and everything looked like it was working and, but it, but I didn't get pregnant. And so somebody else would not have chosen to do IVF. And the truth of the matter is we had people in our lives who really didn't get it. And I really understood from their perspective, like I had at the time a very full family. My house was very busy. And I think we, my husband comes from a very large family. And I think I always had a dream of a very large family. And for many people, four people is a large family, but I think we really, we wanted five, six, you know, kids. And I think it was something that I didn't feel discouraged about. I actually felt like sad and scared about, like in the sense of, I really felt like something that I really deeply wanted felt like it was not attainable. Um, and it made me feel very sad. That's really what it was. It was like something that I really, I think about it often because, you know, for people who don't, who don't know, I actually ended up having, I ended up actually, um, subsequent to my twins, um, actually get ex, actually getting accidentally pregnant and miscarrying. And I remember sitting there having such a different set of emotions and experiences with that miscarriage where we had just had our twins, we were actually feeling totally overwhelmed. And it was like a totally different thought process about, wow, what would it be like to have a seven? And then when the pregnancy miscarried, we had like a real like kind of look at ourselves and be like, well, you know, if we were, if we were to do this again, would we do it intentionally? And I think one of the things I tapped into was the idea that me, who I am, I could always have lots of kids. Like I love a busy, bustling house. I thrive in it. It like gives me such deep pleasure and enjoyment. But I, I know that I would be, I would feel complete not having another child. But I really felt like something was missing. I guess that's the best answer I could possibly give. Everyone's, it's like an internal clock almost, you know, and your internal clock was not set at four, right? Yeah. You, you did not, I mean, you were, you were obviously very grateful and you were you know joyous over your family but you didn't feel complete yet totally and and that's that it's hard to it's hard to sort of pinpoint why that might be or it's hard to sort of predict what that might be for somebody and for everyone it's different and you didn't feel that way at four and you did feel that way with six and okay that's just it that's the reality right there's no there's no explaining it. it but it's it is fascinating so you decided to do IVF, you've obviously never done that before. What what was that like for you? Because it's so different, obviously. It's such a new world. Was that something you found very difficult? So I really, I have to say, thank God. I actually felt, again, interestingly, I felt like relief when I we decided to do IVF. I was like, we did three months of this, as you know, because I was going back and forth. And like, I was almost ready to pull the trigger like a month earlier. And everybody was like, just stay the course. 
you do your three months. If that doesn't work, you move on to your next treatment. I did three months. I did three months of each treatment and it didn't work. I actually felt like with IVF, I was like, okay, this is a plan. Like something is happening. We don't know what's happening. And this seems to be like something that is concrete, actionable. It may work. It may not work. But it felt like it was like it had a direction. It had a course. And I felt like very grounded in it to some degree. I felt very hopeful. I felt very grounded. And thank God, I think probably because ultimately probably what we realized in our process was that something had turned with some of the embryos. Like I made a ton of embryos for my age and for, you know, all things being equal, but like less than 50% of them when we tested them were healthy. And so it seems like there must have been something like that genetically just kind of, I don't know, we kept rolling the dice and landing the same unhealthy embryos. It could have been age, it could have been anything, you know, but in some ways I felt like very relieved by the fact that we ended up going through the IVF process. I didn't find it, you know, I thought I would never be able to give myself shots. And I think for me, at least, and it's the only way I can speak about it, because I think that everyone's experience is so different, the emotions they bring to the table, the anxieties they bring to the table. I think for me, it was it was okay, because it felt like it had an action plan. And so it was an okay process. You were a great match for Dr. Lobel, and she was a great match for you. I mean, it really, because some, you know, sometimes people go through the the IVF process, and for better or worse, no one's sure who's driving the bus there. Sometimes, you know, it's 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 just uh, like a snowball that's rolling down, like an avalanche just keeps going. But I thought that you know, you and Doctor Lobel are both very good communicators. Let's say I just <laughs> I was imagining a fly in the wall, the two of you having conversations in there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was good times. We had, we like appreciated, like she just really was like a very positive experience. She's very, very special. She's very good at what she does. Yeah. Um, and so, and she's very personalized. So I think like that was like tremendous yeah. for me at least. How surprised were you when you found out it was twins? Okay. So here's the thing. I will say this. I just have to, I have to say, I have to be very transparent. So what was very <laughs> this is a podcast <laughs> with transparency. Podcast we got all the buzz well, all the buzzwords. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it happens to be that when I went to put the embryos back, it was actually interesting. First of all, we were back and forth, like, what will what will it be? Like, will we put back like if we get the option, girl boy? In the end, only my girls were healthy. All my boy embryos had like real genetic stuff going on with those that were tested, that tested that they were tested that didn't match um they were unhealthy um embryos so we had kind of a batch of girl embryos and when i went in i was kind of like a little bit pushing to put two embryos back thinking that there's no way that two is gonna go and the um embryologist there was like really not in favor of it she was very like i think this was like the tail end of like the ties were turning they were not putting back two tested embryos as a general rule like it was really not a go. She was like, I'm going to do it. And I was like, oh, well, do you, and I actually remember saying this to her, do you think we should put back three just to really cover our bases? <laughs> and she looked at me and said, you are so lucky I'm putting back two. Like you have no idea. She's like, don't, don't even talk to me. But so I you know what trouble I'm going to get in here? <laughs> exactly. She's like, you can't even imagine. But I just want to say that for, I think something that at least I've held on to in this process is that you have to find silver linings 
wherever you go, because if you don't, you'll just feel like life's beating down on you. And I look back and think about the fact that it was so easy to end quote unquote natural with my first four kids, you know, like I never even saw this whole process. It was just like the first time I even had a glimpse of their existence was like that heartbeat on the screen. And before that, with some of my older, like the heartbeat that I heard, I didn't even see it on the screen. And I think that like, the thing that I thought was amazing was this moment of time where embryo, like they're like in air and like they hit air before they go from that test tube to being transferred. And I think it's like a very powerful and for me it was like a very spiritual moment. I talked about this actually at my girls like party that we gave after they were born and healthy and had come home. But like this idea that like, you know, I wish all my kids well when they get into school. It's like a moment in time where I like, gave them a little bit of a blessing, like be nice to each other, you know, don't kill each other on the inside, which did not go well, by the way, like one beat up the other one, like that was clearly like totally a no go. But I think it's a very powerful moment. And so everything has its challenges, but everything has its potential to have its blessings also. And I feel like trying to look at that is like really, at least helpful for me and maybe helpful for somebody else. Wow. All right. So 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 there were two. So there were two. So when we went back, actually, my blood work came back crazy high. And my husband was like a little bit not on the, he was on the fence about this idea of two. And I was like, don't worry, it's not going to go. Like we just had six months of of fertility and two miscarriages. Like I'm sure it'll just be one. And then like then the HCG numbers came back crazy high. He's like, I thought you told me it would only be one. I was like, I don't know. Like, I, this is not my field. And then sure enough, there was um, there was two. We were really excited. I think that like when I look back at it again, you know, I don't think I totally appreciated like the fragility of a twin pregnancy. I was recently listening to the podcast you had on um, The Healthful Woman and thinking about like all the moving steps, which you told me about twin pregnancies. And most of it's like, not a big deal. And then there are pieces of it that are just really different. Like the nutrition is different, like just, just certain aspects that like, I don't think I totally internalized. I kind of was just like, okay, it's like a single pregnancy, except there's two of them. Like what could go wrong? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> what could Everything. possibly go wrong? The, uh, this is going to be great. And then there was, there's also some interesting give and take regarding your exercising with the twin pregnancy, particularly yes. early, and you got oh, yeah. out, outed and shamed? Oh, I got outed and shamed. Dr. Le- we had a, we had a major clearing. So as you pointed out, me and Dr. LaBelle both have very strong personalities. We both have a lot to say on a lot of different issues. You were just being nice. I exercised through all my pregnancies, and my previous doctor was like, you could stand on your head. You can't control pregnancy. And Dr. LaBelle is like very much like, until you are like, I don't know, she had it like 10 weeks or something, you basically are like, a shy of flat on your back, which is like a non-starter for me. I'm like an active person. I run half marathons. I'm a big runner. And so somebody spotted me running and like kind of outed me to outed me to my reproductive endocrinologist. She called me screaming at me on the phone. We totally made up. We had it. We had, and I then subsequently called you being like, I know this is fine. And you're like, just do whatever the heck she says. You just listen to her. I was like, you're under her jurisdiction. You're under her jurisdiction. I was like, also though, I might have to wear like a baseball hat and go on hiding. (laughs) You're, you're running around the rest (laughs) side when I was like false noses and mustaches and glasses. Who's that? I don't know. It's not not Sarah. I don't know. Whoever it is, it's not her. Totally not. Like, I just didn't even appreciate it. Like, I think the day before I gave birth to those twins, so the day before my water broke, 
I probably I probably ran what like eight I could look look it up eight nine miles I don't listen I'm not blaming myself although I've done a lot of that over the years um, because I think that like it's a tendency that moms have to do which is like they're owning every last the step of how their pregnancy goes and like it's a normal thing to do but like if I could go back in time like I probably would have been a touch a touch more conservative (laughs) (laughs) I mean listen I'm I'm a big fan of exercise and pregnancy even for twins I think we 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 didn't wrestle quite as much as you and Dr. Lobel did but we had you know maybe like an arm wrestle I would say not so much not so much a cage match you weren't doing anything crazy, and I have no idea if your running had anything to do with your water breaking. The answer is probably not. Probably unrelated, uh, I would say. But yeah, everyone always feels guilty. Something like that happens. Even after, we'll talk about this, but even after your water broke, you were active, and it's not like they fell out of you. It doesn't work like that. So yeah. So tell us, let, just in general, other other than getting in trouble for exercising too early, how did it go until, as you already said, your water broke? Until that happened, how were things going? Totally smooth. I yeah. was like, literally, like, why are they making me come into this office? Yeah, you so were very annoyed. Time. You had to come every two I weeks. So and I kept telling you, you're, you're coming every two weeks. Stop me. complaining. Yeah. I was like, this is insane. Like, do people expect people to, like, get other things done with this? Like, it was, like, really crazy. But the, they were fine. They were totally fine. They were growing. They were on target. Every, everything was fine. I had a very normal, easy pregnancy, just like my other four pregnancies. I really didn't think about it. It wasn't like it was harder for me. The only, I think, twin hiccup was that my iron was low. Okay, fine. That was it. It was like a nothing. And right. I didn't even think twice about it. It was like really smooth sailing. Right. So so tell us what happened when your water broke. My kids still talk about this to this day. Like my youngest child, they'll be like, do you remember when that your water broke? I'm like, thanks, guys. And they walk through it. It's like the most fascinating thing, probably because it was scary for them. It happened to have been a Friday night, um, and I had just um, lit Sabbath candles. And I went to the bathroom, and I was like, oh, my God. I think my water broke, and my husband wasn't home. And I remember it, I, I've never been so panicked. Like, my heart sunk. I can remember exactly the feeling I had. And right. you're thir- I was you're 30, 31 you're, you're 31 weeks. weeks. I was 31 right. weeks and it was a Friday night. I literally remember walking out to the street looking for him and like screaming his name. And like, I was hysterical. I was like in a panic. Um, we called the service and Dr. Malco was on. We went to the hospital and indeed my water had broke, but I wasn't in labor. So they kind of just watched and I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I had never heard of this before. Now it's funny. I hear about this all the time. And in fact, a friend of mine just had this happen to her. And I literally coached her through being stuck in the hospital for a week and then through the NICU, which is something like I'm trying to like get off the ground more like an informal way of trying to like get like a peer um, NICU mama support group thing going. But I was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, my water broke Simon labor. They're like, no, your water didn't break. And we're actually going to slow your labor so that you don't go into labor. And that's exactly what happened. We were stuck in Sinai. I didn't go into labor. They gave me my first dose of of, um, steroids for the baby's uh, lungs. And they measured them and they were doing fine and they monitored them and they were doing fine. I think I even got magnesium because I was on the cusp and I don't actually, I actually didn't have a, have an adverse reaction to it, even though everybody says it's awful, but I, for some reason did not have an adverse reaction to it. I was just so on, on edge. Like I remember the NICU people coming down and kind of giving me a whole lowdown of what to expect for NICU. And I was just kind of like, what, what just happened? 
actually. That's really how I felt. I was like, I, what just happened? And then I was stuck in Mount Sinai for a week. So they're basically like, you're going to be here until you give birth. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I have four <laughs> kids. At, <laughs> I have four kids at home. My son's birthday party was on Sunday. And this was before Zoom was like cool. But I actually Zoomed into his birthday party. Really? You, um, Zoom was even around then? Yes, Zoom was around. And I actually Zoomed. I think, I think it was... It was either Zoom or FaceTime. Now I can't even remember, but I thought it was Zoom. I, maybe it was FaceTime. And I FaceTimed into his birthday party. I had, thank God I had already made his birthday cake. It comes with a little bit of expensive organization. But I was stuck in Sinai for the following week. Right. It would have been longer. <laughs> it would have been longer. We would have gone up to about 34 <laughs> weeks probably had you not yeah. gone into labor. I was like staring down the barrel at three weeks and I wasn't really contracting. And I wasn't really, it was kind of like I was doing nothing. Like the everything, everyone was fine. They kept monitoring the babies. My water had, re, my water that was broken was continuing to replenish. And I was actually seeing clients. I would like get up and do, I, I remember having a total panic of that, going to be very clear. I'm saying this very transparently to share with people. It's interesting when you tell people that being stuck in a hospital for however long you're going to be there till you give birth is awful. Everybody who's experience it that I know says it's awful but when you tell it to somebody else who's on the outside they're like it doesn't sound so bad just like get a book like enjoy your quiet time I'm like this is not quiet time this feels really anxiety provoking and like unnerving and like a loss of freedom and you're like stuck yeah it's not a hotel it's 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 more similar to a prison than a hotel it's more similar to a prison than a yeah. hotel. yeah i mean they're like friendly there's no yeah there's you're yeah. not gonna you know you're not gonna get you know beat up in the yard or anything like that but it's but it's you you yeah yeah you can't you can't leave the floor you have people come in your room all the time you don't have it's not quite it's not truly quiet you don't really have privacy you're worried you know half the time it's not like yeah you're not there for any pleasant reason you're like oh i could deliver at any time and you got stuff going on at home and people have work and, you know, responsibilities. It's hard. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's hard. And you're also like toggling. You said it to me so perfectly. The whole week I'm sitting there, like you're like, statistically, if you make it to 24, then 24 hours after your water book, then statistically you can make it to 48, but you're not going to make it longer for a week. And I remember you came up on Thursday. I'd already been there for almost a week and I had like a system for like how I kind of survived the weekend. In, in retrospect, it kind of reminded me of like a little bit of like quarantine preparation. Like I was like, I would get up. I would like hoard, to hoard, hoard toilet paper. Yeah, <laughs> I would hoarding toilet paper. I would like think of all the activities exactly. Hoard toilet paper. You never know what else you needed to save back then. It kind of like created like a real routine for myself. Yeah, you were I, exercising. You were like power walking. Yeah, yeah. I was like, like I'm going to go crazy. Nut job? Who's that nut job doing laps on, on KP5? I was like, oh, no, that's Sarah. That, that's that's her. <laughs> Dr. Lobel's mad at her. <laughs> she's mad at me. My actually OB, who I ran into, my old OB on the floor, she's like, what are you doing up? I was like, I have clearance. I have not given birth. If I sit in those four walls, I'm going to lose my brain. I put in a podcast. My husband brought me like hand waves. I would literally put on my sneakers and I power walked down the hall. I made friends with lots of people. Power walked just down the hall. I think I, I, do, I had a, like a clock. I thought it sounds crazy. And like, I promise you I'm a sane human being. But like, I literally was like, I'm going to go crazy here. So like, I have to do something. I actually, if anybody's ever been on the Sinai antipartum floor, which I don't wish it on anybody, it's a dreadful floor. But I had in my head no, it's designs great. You feel, how it's they like, could it's do like, it better. Yeah, it's like back to the future. I feel like you're back in 1962. 
you know, like, oh, this is what tiles look like then. It's the floor they didn't get a chance to renovate yet. It's lovely people there, wonderful nurses. Everyone's delightful. It's just aesthetically, it's, 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 you know, okay. Awful. It's, um, it's, it's uh, interesting. Yeah. I remember telling one of the, att- like somebody who was there from Sana who came around, I was like, if you need new design ideas, like I've spent a week on this floor. I have some ideas. I'm like, I think you could push it out here and like just put a few. I like they literally were like, oh, my God, we can't handle you for another two weeks. Like, God help us. Wait, so so, so you were saying that I came in on Thursday. (laughs) You're saying you came in on Thursday and like the whole week I was there. And I think this is something interesting. Just a friend of mine, I was talking to her about it. You sit there toggling in your brain. I should stay pregnant because I'm doing good by my twins or by, by my singleton, whatever you have going on. You feel a tremendous amount of pressure as if it's in your control, which it's not, but you fantasize that it's in your control and that if you wish to get the heck out of here and give birth, that somehow you're betraying and not taking care of the baby or babies inside of you and that you're being selfish to yourself or to your other kids at home. And I think it's like a very tricky place. And you came in on Thursday and I kind of was like in an okay place. I was kind of like feeling like, look, I made it all the way to basically 32 weeks. I was 32 weeks, I think either Thursday or Friday. And that was like a big cutoff for twins. And I was like, I guess I can make it another two weeks. And you looked at me and said, but would you want to? I was like, what? You were like, would you want to? Do you want look at your, basically you were like, look at your existence here. Like, do you want to live like this for another two weeks? And I was like, oh, I don't think so. You're like, yeah, it's okay if you don't. It was like such a relief and a relief of like responsibility for myself that like, I'm going to do the best I can. But like the fact that this is not, that this is unpleasant and the fact that I'm stuck sharing a bathroom on a 1970s Mount Sinai floor, although I did have a nice park view. Like it's not away from everybody else like out of routine trying to cobble together losing work time that like I wasn't planning on taking off yet like it's okay that this really stinks yeah and that you could want it to end yeah a, a broker might call it a beautiful pre-war park view uh studio yes exactly yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> high, With ceilings, a shared bathroom. high ceilings high ceilings yeah yeah you know, it's it's uh it's good no I, I did to... bring in a plant I did bring in a plant <laughs> I told I told my husband I was like get me a plant <laughs> I was like I don't care what it is, cactus, something, yeah, something, something alive, something to make the place look alive. It's um no, but it's it's true. People feel so much responsibility and guilt, and I mean, it's not in your hands. It's not your fault. Your water broke. It's you have no control over when you're going into labor when you're not. And like you said, on the one hand, you you wish to stay pregnant as long as humanly possible. On the other hand, every part of your brain is like, get me the hell out of here. I just want to go home, and that's normal. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's it, this is the competing parts of our brain and. That happens all the time, and it's it's all good. And plus, as 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 we said, it's totally out of your control, and you wanted to labor the next day. And anyways, I went to labor, but I think the other piece, just by the way, is and I often think back on this, is I think there was like a part of me also um, that was very much like sad and mourning the fact that like this also couldn't go smooth. Yeah, I think I kind of had felt like I was like had turned a corner and everything was going easy, and I had a twin pregnancy that was going easy, and I was feeling so lucky and blessed and like I know the two twin pregnancies could go south but I was like mine's fine and then I kind of was just like a really kind of wanting and craving for this to just be like smooth and like I was a part of me even like I look back on it and I was like oh it's like sad for me that that was my last labor and delivery experience because I was like it was so crazy it was so crazed it was a little traumatic and I was just like you know like 
why it would have been nice if that could have gone smooth. But then I wouldn't be here because it would be a really boring story and only a semi-boring story. Because <laughs> like it happens to people all the time now. I hear people all the time like, oh yeah, my water broke early. Like I was stuck in that awful building in Sinai. It happens. Like, it happens with twins more commonly as you would imagine. But how, how, import, how important was a vaginal delivery to you? Which is what you ultimately had. So that's great. I did, um, which I, that I will credit maybe to Lenny too. Why not? Okay. We got we to gotta throw in a bonus. And also I was in really great shape. I delivered them super smooth and easy. Um, you know, I think I really was at a place in my head where I was like, just healthy baby. I think at that point, actually, probably I really did. I was ready for a piece of this to go smooth. So I think that like, probably if I'd had a C-section at that point, I it could I could have seen it throwing me over the edge because I was like, yeah. you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and um. It's also hard because especially, you know, when you're 32 weeks, you know, the babies are likely going to be in the NICU for some time. And if you're going to be going back and forth to see them every day and you're recovering from a C-section, it's really hard. It's painful. I mean, it's it's hard enough after a birth, but after a cesarean, it's 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 not pleasant. It's really hard. And you're going to be coming every day and then you're really going to feel guilty if you can't come and then you're in pain. And it's it's probably a bigger deal at 32 weeks than maybe at 36 or 37 weeks when you're all home together, I would say. It was like a real blessing, but like I really, in that sense, again, I have great pregnancies. I'm in great shape. And so like giving birth is kind of just like, it's like an incident for me. And so I just kind of like move on literally. And so I like to have had to start recovering in a real way would have been, it, we always joke in our small family, like eight time my husband looks more tired. I always take a picture of him sleeping after labor and delivery, <laughs> like always. Like I, every child, he's like, oh my God, I need a nap. I'm like, I know that was really hard work for you. He's like, you don't know what it's like to be on the other side. Right. And he, um, doesn't, he doesn't get an epidural. So he does exactly. That is exactly. He doesn't he get a comfy like. bed. He gets, he gets he like a chair. He gets like a folding bed. chair. Yeah. Exactly. So he definitely needs a nap. Yeah. yeah. Very shout, hard work. shout out, shout out to the dads, to the partners. Absolutely. It's not, it's not easy. And as I recall for your birth, I think every single doctor from our practice, except me, was there. Is that right? I think there was like there was like nine hands delivering this these babies. So I will say this. This was like actually crazy. Dr. Silverstein came by in the morning and he said it was that it was Saturday morning. My husband came. We were actually having the loveliest um Sabbath because it was like this was actually lovely. It was really quiet. I had gotten permission actually to go off the floor. Um as long as I didn't go for too far. I was like we were totally having this nice quiet weekend albeit on at that point we would call it like a you know a central park suite uh, although i think it still costs more money we saw the bill post post lacto <laughs> than any hotel on central park and he I, he came by in the morning saturday morning and i was like i'm not delivering go home like nothing's happening and we walked over to the other to the pavilion and like i was uncomfortable but i was just like yeah i'm uncomfortable i'm 30 two weeks pregnant my water's broken like I didn't I really didn't pay attention to it I was like I have a high pain threshold I really didn't think twice about it my husband was like a little concerned but the funniest part is I got back onto the floor and the nurses who I loved loved were like it's so weird you've been walking these floors all week you've been clearing eight miles a day on our floors like you're walking very slow this is really weird and I was like I'm not so comfortable and they're like we're calling whoever was on call. So they call up Dr. Freeman, Dr. Freeman, God bless her, poor thing. She must've been new-ish to the practice, right? Uh, I think she's new to the earth. I mean, she's, uh, you know, she's young. 
she's young, right? Okay. Yeah, so, but but so but it, but in, she in was, her in her defense, amazing. yeah, in her defense as an obstetrician, she's amazing, and she has little hands. So you're definitely going to appreciate her over Silverstein at that time. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing, and she had a lot going on that day. And sure enough, I'm sitting there like this was the irony when I asked to go home. Uh, on Sunday, I think I saw you Sunday or Monday originally when my water broke. I was like, just let me go home. You're like, you'll deliver on the side of the road. Like, you don't understand how fast this goes. And then this will be so bad. And I remember kind of rolling my eyes, like, yeah, like, how fast could he's, it possibly he's, go? He's so like, full of it, Fox. <laughs> he's so full of it. He's just, he's just trying to keep me here. And um, sure enough, actually, I, I was going to be the only person who had been on the floor for an entire week waiting to deliver and only ended up delivering in like, dress clothes I was literally like in like a dress and like tights and like I'm like fully like whatever she looks at me she checks me she's like oh my god you're 10 centimeters you're gonna deliver <laughs> these children here I'm like well, I'm sorry what she's like oh like and then of course I'm like but I haven't had an epidural she's like also you're 10 centimeters <laughs> and then at the same time she gets a page from downstairs that her other whoever was the other patient was set, was delivering so poor Dr. Freeman. I mean, she's like, kind of like, don't go anywhere, but come downstairs. And she left and she called Dr. Bender. I love, it's amazing. And Dr. Bender came in. I think it was him who said this. He says, I just got off with Dr. Fox. He says, you have to deliver. I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a choice. You have, you have to deliver. I'm like that, that, that would seem obvious right at this moment. Um, and then they took me down. And I remember actually, I was just talking about this with somebody else about the power of nurses. I remember they were scanning me one more time to make sure that the babies were head down before they took me to the OR. And they were attempting to get some form of a small epidural in me, although I did walk into that OR room. And I remember panicking. I remember having this moment and like, I looked at the nurse, I said, 32 weeks is just too early. Like babies aren't meant to be born at 32 weeks. And she, she really calmed me down. She's like, they're going to be fine. You're going to see, they're going to be totally fine. But I, I remember the panic and the, like, I was calm up until that moment. And I, and I just lost it. I remember really losing it. And she kind of just put me back together. And, and she was right. They were fine. They really were. It was like a crazy delivery. Dr. Bender was in there. Dr. Friedman came back. Of course, Dr. Silverstein blows through the room like something <laughs> out of Seinfeld. Okay. <laughs> like literally, back. like you, a hurricane. You told me you weren't going to deliver. I was like, I'm sorry. And what was most fascinating that I actually then learned from your podcast was we were, they delivered baby A super easy because she was head down. And then while they delivered baby A, sure enough, baby B flipped. And so they had to take her out feet first. Mm -hmm. And I remember Dr. Friedman was doing the second delivery and they were like coaching her through it. Dr. Bender was coaching her through this. And afterwards, Ethan and I were looking at each other like, why were they like mansplaining her? Like, she's a very competent doctor. Like, why were they mansplaining? <laughs> <laughs> we're like, these two senior doctors, Dr. Bender and Silver, are standing next to this like young, very competent, but but woman, the OB. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Like, let her do her job. Only then did I realize afterwards, like it's when I was listening to these podcasts, I'm like, oh, like this is legitimately what this practice does because like it's very hard maneuver and they're teaching her how to do it. And it was it was very funny, but we were like, oh, that's what was happening. <laughs> but jerks. it was like, <laughs> yeah, we're like, what is happening here? Like this thing is very unprogressive. What is going on? Um <laughs> 
it was like a packed OR. It was like tons of people. We had no idea what was going on. Of course, Dr. Silverstein comes out. He's like also the photographer because yeah. there was really nothing for him to be doing at that point. And they were fine. That's the truth of it. Like they were really fine. They were small. They were both like basically two pound small babies. They were on CPAP. Um, one of them was like a NICU superstar, like didn't Brady, didn't do anything. She basically like came out smiling and pink and stayed that way for the two weeks that she was there. And the second was my, who was my baby A was like much more smaller, much more fragile. But I will say this to to everybody and anybody, the NICU team, all my doctors told me this over and over again, a healthy, uninfected 32 week old is better than a healthy and than an infected 34 week old. And like, I'm so blessed that I delivered at 32 weeks, not just because I had to get out of there, but also because they really were like, they weren't infected. They were so healthy. They were on CPAP for a little bit of time, which helped them kind of like blow air in their lungs to give them a little bit of extra um, lung support. So they weren't working so hard and they were awesome. They were great. It was an amazing NICU. It is an amazing NICU. The doctors are amazing. And we were like, they came home by 35 weeks. One was really ready to come home, to be honest. And we look back at pictures now of my my baby A, who ironically, her name is Ayala. There's like a subconscious thing about baby A's naming their kids with an A name. Like it's like a thing I was reading about afterwards. Like you don't even recognize it. And um, she totally needed a few more days in that NICU. Like I can't believe they let us take her out. But right. they did. Right. My um, baby my baby A is Noam with an N. So yeah, okay, there goes so that. No. Sorry, there goes that. <laughs> Looking back, they're three years old now. Thank God you have, you know, they're well. You have, as you said, big family, six kids. What do you think about all this in, in hindsight? You know, it's funny. I look back on it um, and it was like a crazy, I don't think I will ever feel as tired or as scared, but also as amazed and grateful as I was um, those days when I was traveling back and forth in the NICU. Um, and I, I had a tremendous amount of guilt. Like, I really did like questioning, should I have put back the two embryos? Should I have just like, I didn't need to, I could have had one and then transferred another embryo and please God, it would have worked, you know, just as well as the first time. And I, I would have had the same family without all of this drama. So I have a tremendous amount of guilt around pushing for, for that. But then I look at them and I look at their special bond and their special relationship. They couldn't be different, more different than they just started school for the first time. And they're from their personality to their looks, they are two totally different kids. They fall into different parts of my family, but they have a very special bond. And um, when I watched them walk into that school building, kind of holding hands, like there's nothing like it. Um, and I watched the way the, all the other kids take them in. It's amazing. And uh, it's funny. Now, one of my younger kids is like, when are you going to have another set of two? I was like, guys, I think like they're like, and when you do, can we get a boy in there? You know, like my kids are kind of have like a different mindset around around some of this. But my kids also know, like we talk about a little bit, like my one of my oldest daughter definitely remembers like a time when I was like sadder. And so she like is, is tuned into it. And I think we're very sensitive, much more in this family to the fact that not everybody has babies easily or as many as they want. And we t- are the way that we talk about it is different and being very appreciative for the family we have. So I think we're very mindful. You know, I think some people look at us and they're like, oh my God, what car are you going to get next? And I'm just like, thank God. Thank God we have, you know, a car problem. Um, I never take it, ever take it 
for granted, even when we get our tuition bill. It's like, it's just a blessing. I, I think that's for me, like, there's nothing else to say for I, the, the best way I could possibly think about it. And I do acknowledge the fact that these last two probably in a different way have a different place in my like being just because of maybe the way I perceive them as fragile. When they, on their first day of school, I was like a basket case. I was like literally crying. And the principal said to me, you know, we're giving them back to you at the end of the day. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, we're not keeping them forever. But I did. I felt like I was really dropping them off. And they have a piece, there's a piece for me that they just feel a little more fragile and a little more sensitive. And they're not, but it's, it's my perception of it. So it's something that kind of stays with me. And I think it's like, yeah, it's something I think about. Like when I think back on that time, I can really put myself back there because it, I think I, I think I thrived in it and I did well in it, but I think I, I think I, it was hard at the time, which is why I'm going to make a plug for this in a second is that I'm really trying to, I was really fortunate. A friend of mine, actually the same thing happened to her. Her water broke a week after me and she was 31 weeks with twins and we became fast friends. Like, and we, I remember kind of like coaching her through that and through the NICU and my sister-in-law had preemie, really early preemie twins. Um, and they're like in like the 20 weekish, like since they were 28 weeks, 27 weeks. And I remember her coaching me through some of the NICU stuff. And I think that like for anybody who thinks that they're going to have a NICU stay, like reach out for a mom who's gone through the NICU because I think like their, their insights invaluable, even if it's just somebody who understands you, who gets what's going on. Um, and like who can make you feel like whatever you're feeling it's like a reasonable, legitimate thing. It's exhausting. It's tiring. Like I was living off of that like bodega coffee at the corner um, outside of the Sinai hospital, which was excellent coffee or it just is my memory that it was excellent. But I feel like that's just like an important piece that I would plug for anybody listening, whoever thinks they would go through that or is has gone through it. If you hear of somebody to connect with them, because I think it's like invaluable support that like, you're part of a community of NICU moms that you didn't ask to be a part of, but now it's an opportunity. Amazing. Sarah, thank, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again for and for me. telling your birth story. I love, I love talking an to awesome you. Doctor. Your <laughs> team is the best. I always say like one of the saddest parts about not having, as far as I know, any more kids is that I don't get, I would have more kids just to hang out with your, all the doctors in your office. They're all amazing and fun and awesome. So we'd have to get a new car. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.